0: Welcome to On The Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Welcome to On The Record. My guest this week is the newly appointed CEO of Klausner Home Furnishings, Terry McNew. Terry, welcome to On The Record.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Okay. so. You grew up in Southern California. I did. Worked on your own boats in your teens, moved to, to uh, Florida, been around the water. I have to ask, what's a boat guy doing 300 miles from the nearest ocean?
1: Well, you know, I saw that because you guys gave me a list of questions. I'm actually 300 miles closer to the ocean now. Just do the math, right? So I was in Knoxville. I was actually west of Knoxville. So I'm I'm only three hours away from the beach now instead of about six. Yeah, I love the ocean from Florida, born in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, Uh, lived in Cocoa Beach for a couple of years and moved to Los Angeles. When I was seven, my dad was with the manned space program. So if you know anything about that, Los Angeles and East Central Florida, kind of the hubs for manned space program. Uh, My wife and I actually have a home we rent out, but it's on the ocean in Melbourne Beach, Florida. So growing up on the ocean, I, uh, I love to surf. I've surfed since I was 11 years old. Still have many surfboards down at the house. And uh, one of my daughters and uh, son-in-law and uh, uh, almost nine-year-old grandson surf. My son surf. So it's kind of a family tradition. Love boating, of course. Spent 32 years in the boat building industry. So anything with water, um, I'm going to be close by.
0: Well, we do have a couple of
1: lakes here in North Carolina. So you can... Uh... Exactly. Yeah, Lake Norman, a lot of great lakes around here.
0: There you go. Yeah. So before we went on the air, we were talking a little bit about some of the similarities between the boat boating business and the furniture business. In in your full week now that you had to assimilate and assess, have you have you gotten a feel though? Have you recognized some some real similarities between the two?
1: Yeah, I actually did before. Yeah. Um Klosner is owned by Montemoy Capital Partners out of New York. I serve on one of their boards for West Marine. Love them, great company. Love Klosner. Um, what Bill Wittenberg and the team did since 2010 to build Klosner where it's at is, is great. It's just a nice handoff. But the similarities are are many, believe it or not. The the manufacturing is is very similar, uh, but how to go to market is is a lot uh a lot. More similar than you would imagine. So, boat builders go to market through independent marine dealers. So, uh, you know, we, uh, I like to say there's three platforms of power in the world direct, I'm your boss, please do what I say <laughs> to make it simple. Then there's information and influential power. And so, both uh, furniture manufacturers and marine OEMs operate out of the latter, two. So, uh, you know we can influence we can inform uh, through buying programs and you know good collateral good quality but we don't actually execute customer you know B2C or more B2B so that's very similar um, Klosner has many many retailers maybe 2,500 um, as CEO of Mastercraft Boat Holdings started out with Mastercraft but over the last few years we purchased two companies and launched a third brand so there are four brands under the envelope of boat companies I was responsible for, all in probably 350 to 400 dealers around the world. So, you know, you've got to make that relationship with the dealer and uh, and ultimately understand and get the feedback from the customer. But to answer your question, a ton of similarities, I feel very comfortable. There's
0: also a, a lot of manufacturing similarities too, in terms of
1: material sourcing. Very, very much treatment. the same. That, that, was very. I, I visited all five campuses last week and uh, toured with our new COO, and uh, very similar. Uh, you, you've got a plan, you purchase the material, you receive the material, you relieve it to the line, and you've got to do it in a very efficient process. So about 15 years ago, after two years uh, at the University of Tennessee, I gained my Six Sigma, my Lean Six Sigma black belt certification, and it's uh, something I used quite a bit uh over the years in the boat business because i ran manufacturing for uh i was the executive vice president of brunswick's recreational boat group and you know had run manufacturing started at sea ray boats and eventually went to correct craft and mastercraft so uh but the similarities in manufacturing are nearly identical between furniture and boats
0: for people who have maybe heard the term lean six sigma but don't necessarily know what that means can you Kind of just give us a a little overview of what that term means.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's taking statistics, but I'll simplify it. There are seven pillars of lean, um, and you learn uh, techniques, uh, arrows in your quiver for breaking down manufacturing process to identify those areas of waste and to make it much more efficient and cost effective. Quality is free. Transportation is one of the wastes um, over inventory or an excess of inventory. I always say hides a multitude of cents. So I tend to lean uh, out on the inventory. How do you do that? I'll give you an example. When I was at Mastercraft over a few years, we were able to triple our daily production and kept our net inventories, which by definition, your raw materials, your work in process, your finished goods, flat and many Uh, Investment bank chairman's commented to me, we've never really seen that before. Uh, It's not a function of not paying people on time like your suppliers. What it is, is going all the way back to product development and driving common part usage where it makes sense. What I used to hear a lot in other roles that I had is, uh, oh, we can't do that, everything's gonna look the same. No, and I always tell people, do you really care what engine's in your car, do you even know? You know what brake assemblies in your car? No, you just want it to work. And I used to say in the boat business, if the if you win with engines and you win with electrical slash electronics, you win. Those are big dissatisfiers to consumers. So if you can develop a relationship with the part, you understand its reliability, its durability. Uh, you have a relationship with that supplier. Use that over and over. I'm simplifying a bit, but don't recreate things. So you, you, we were able to drive a mastercraft common part reusage of subsystems, mechanisms, and harnesses. Ninety-one percent of our parts over twelve models in that portfolio were the same. So we can turn our inventory faster. Uh, it's great for uh, um, overcoming absenteeism, uh, turnover. For example, you, I'm out sick. You can come and do my work on my line and you'll recognize 91% of the parts just like that. And so we have to buy fewer SKU stock units, but also our dealers benefited from that, right? So they, they spent less cash on their average inventory. Their technicians and their service departments got more familiar with the parts because they weren't constantly changing. The reliability and durability improved. And what that really did for the company And enabled us to obviously improve our cash flow. But we were the only boat company then that was able to be certified in three uh, certifications for ISO, International Standards Organization and Manufacturing. That's kind of a big deal. Um, Mastercraft was qualified and uh, certified in quality, uh, environmental and health and safety. So those are big things. I used to always tell investors and joke with our uh, employees and board that, You know, everybody thinks their baby's cute, but when other people start saying your baby's cute, then your baby's cute. (laughs) And a lot of things, you know, Industry Week magazine recognized uh, Mastercraft in January of 16 for calendar year 15 as the best manufacturer in North America. And I like to really qualify that by saying not the best boat manufacturer, the best manufacturer. Former winners are Toyota, Lockheed Martin, Pratt & Whitney, Harley Davidson. So we were in kind of in an elite class, and it really enabled us to, to position the brand in a way that people understood that we weren't, everybody says they've got great quality. But again, significant others, Industry Week, ISO certifications, really positioned us a bit different. Then we worked hard through those quality processes to keep our pricing fair. Right, our six-year base boat price cagger cumulative average growth rate, was only 2.75%. We were intentionally trying to reposition the brand that when I got there was the most expensive in the tow sports segment, a bit lower. It's an iconic aspirational brand, but people also respect the value of a dollar. So we increased rates at decreasing rates relative to our competitors. Think about the movie Top Gun. Remember when Tom Cruise is he's being tailgated by a, a Russian jet and he hits the brakes, flies up and the guy flies right by him. That's essentially what we did. Competitors blew right by us. So we were at a much more affordable price, great quality, again, not my words, ISO, industry week. and uh, we were able to triple production. Uh, in six years. And so that really helped us also to take the company public. Now, at
0: the same time that you were tripling production, you were also significantly increasing employee input and the number of suggestions that your employees um, that, that were being implemented
1: that's correct. as a result. That, that's, a, that's absolutely correct. I started on the floor in the boat business, building molds and masters, and eventually moved into manufacturing, was a department supervisor, manager, plant manager, and vice president all of. Operations, so uh, I I always felt my opinion was 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 valuable to the organization so years ago as a plant manager I started to doing do this when when I got to Mastercraft uh, the company was in uh, extreme financial distress a great employees or about 325 we implemented an employee suggestion program the first year we implemented not just received we implemented over 3,550 suggestions. The next year, 8,000. The next year, 13,500. Each of the next two years, over 21,000. In last year, because we were a July through June company, over 24,000 implemented suggestions from around 600 employees. So just tremendous employee engagement. We we actually had organized uh, uh, 250 tours of the facility a year. Intentional, I had a couple of concierges that would walk people through the factory. There were visual factory management indicators, et cetera, et cetera. It was a sales tool. Any we never lost a sale for anybody that came in. And keep in mind these boats at wholesale average just under a hundred thousand. At retail they go anywhere from say the low seventies to a little over two hundred thousand. So it's, it's important to kind of hit on all cylinders. So I look forward to trying to implement many of those opportunities into Klosner And everybody I've met, great employees, and, and I think they're very willing and eager to learn and take it to the next level.
0: One of the things I talk a lot with um, when people come here is culture change. Because we talk with people who are in similar positions to you. And a Lean Six Sigma program is, even for a company that's focused on efficiency and has done lots of great things, these are new processes. These are new terms. What are the steps? How do you kind of guide people into that? How do you get buy-in? Do you have some tips, strategies, things that you've used that have been successful that others might learn
1: from? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, as Lynn and I were driving here today, right? we got to, we've got to merge onto the freeway. So you've got an on-ramp and it takes several hundred yards to gradually merge. So you don't just come out, boom, out of the box and say we're going to do it this way. Uh, last week, A week ago, tomorrow, I had a meeting with about 200 employees, introduced myself personally, professionally, here's who I am, I'm married, I got five kids, seven grandkids, an eighth on the way, this is where I see things, so we're going to have meetings, so the answer is you start to be very transparent, we're going to have a meeting, I promised everybody, every 30 days, I'm going to start to keep score. And I asked everybody when you go to a game, maybe a Carolina Panthers game or an NC game, Wake Forest, what what state, whoever you you Don't like. forget Duke. Duke. Make sure you get all the all Carolina of, teams because you're There's a batting. lot. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Gonna bat, I'm not trying to <laughs> disenfranchise yeah, anybody, right. but, but you look at the scoreboard. Sure. What down is it? How much time is left? What's the score? Are we winning? Are we losing? You know, et cetera. How many timeouts do we have? Same thing in business. So I promised everybody that we'd start to uh, – to share that information and uh, so I asked what well, how are we gonna keep score there's a lot of things to keep score on I heard revenue that's certainly interesting and we talked about it just this afternoon in a meeting we had but at the end of the day it's profitability I joke but I'm very serious I haven't found a printing press in over 32 years so money doesn't just fall out of the sky and your check doesn't magically appear we have to do a lot of things right and so really it's just a function of explaining the parts of the business because you may assume people kind of know that some do, some don't, but helping them to um, understand how the pieces of the business fit together and that we've got to ha- build exceptional product. Doesn't matter if it's a, a, a furniture or a boat, right? Anything you build, it's got to be done well. We are consumers. You don't want to buy a Monday car. You, you want a car built exceptional quality or whatever it is you're buying a refrigerator or a tire, you expect good quality, a fair price. So those are some of the things. And then as I get around to the business units and I I ask a lot of questions, right? And I will tell everybody I don't jump out of the bushes. I'm going to tell you this is where I'm going with this line of questions. And if I'm wrong, you know, we talked about it a little bit today. If I'm just getting ready to step in a pothole, tell me I'm getting ready to step in a pothole. But tell me why. Math is my friend. So let's understand that. But we want the retailers to be happy, right? So when I had my first dealer meeting, seven and a half years ago at Mastercraft, I uh, had front of about 600 people, and I said, listen, it's real simple. I want you to be rich, and I want us to be rich, and we're going to share in this. We'll build great product, fair price, take your feedback, but I'd like you to sell it well and service it well. You take input from us, we'll take input from you. So I know I'm new to the furniture business, and there's a lot to learn, but the basics of business are the same. It's not a pro bono business. You want to actually make money doing it so you can feed your families, reinvest in your business, but satisfy the customer. And in our line of work, we've got a couple of customers. The direct is our retailers, and then of course the end consumers. You've got to brand it right. You've got to make it so that it works and it's got to be a fair price. So I I share all of that. And then it's just, you've got to make yourself acceptable. Anybody that you might be able to find that knows me in the boat industry, and I'm fairly well known there, Will tell you, I'm 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 out on the floor a lot. I don't like to be in the corner office a whole lot. I'll take calls from people. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's dealers, consumers, suppliers, I make myself available. The only thing I ask is tell me the truth. And and the good news is you got a hold of me. The bad news is you got a hold of me because I'm gonna follow up on it. So if you're not telling me and you're twisting the mirrors a little bit, well, I'll find out and you know, that 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 hurts your credibility may not be so anxious to help out in the but I explain it and I look at business as kind of war, kind of a student of war. My dad was an old World War II Navy commando and grandfather was in World War II, et cetera. Many of us have family members that have been in the military, and my son's in special ops in the Air Force, tremendous respect. But my point is that our competitors are trying to take our paycheck. I'm just I'm a bottom line guy. And they're trying to get to our retailers, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we've got to outflank them. With better product, better ideas, but that is all a function of speed, and speed is built on trust, and trust has two components. It's a function of character and competency. So, the more we can just be open, and we can take the, and we just say what we've got, and we trust each other. So you might be the nicest person in the world, but you don't get your job done. So I, I'm not going to trust you in terms of competency. The opposite might be true. Maybe you get excellent work done. The result of your product is good, but the way you go about it, your character is so disruptive to the organization. You leave broken glass, and it's really difficult. The unit of you know uh, uh, improvement that you bring to the to the company doesn't offset the two units of disruption, right? So I don't trust you to do it well, and we've got to balance those. But when we do all those right, and we share information, um, I don't know if you guys have ever run out of. Gas in your car, but as a young guy, I did twice because my gas meter wasn't calibrated. There, my gas You've been cage. there, done that? Yeah, yep. right. I thought I had a quarter tank left. So, as long as we talk, we share the information, everybody understands and agrees. That's the goal. We talk about it. I, yeah, I lead the organization, but I'm not going to get my way all the time, nor should I. But we have a robust communication. We're sharing the information. I want employee feedback. I want dealer feedback. Can't act on everything, but let's prioritize it and. You've got a hundred item wish list, but we can take and really knock out 10 or 20 of those items and do it well. So a long answer, but that's kind of how I do it and I try to do it for every aspect of the business from distribution to manufacturing to you know uh, the suppliers, um, quality systems. I'm very focused on quality. I get accused of having kind of a 5s home. I like everything to be in its place i'm getting a little better now that i'm older and i've got a lot of grandkids but um i like everything to be in its place and i want to be able to access it when i need it etc i like i say safety as always a lot of times i hear safety is job one but i've seen some very tremendous traumatic uh, uh industry injuries so i'm very uh, that's that's non-negotiable make sure everybody's got their right personal protection equipment and nothing says I care about you, Mr. and Mrs. Employee, and getting out there and seeing that stuff and setting that example for all of your all of your manufacturing, anybody that has anything to do. And I say manufacturing, but I've seen some bad accidents even in the office. So it's one thing for me to say I, I believe in all these things, but it you've got to get out there and live it and, and kind of lead like Teddy Roosevelt from the front. And that's kind of a long answer, but that's that's my Method and process for doing it, engage everybody, be willing to take constructive criticism. I'm okay, I don't have pride of ownership, but I will make a decision. Because as General Patton said, a, a, a decision that's 90% perfect made now is better than a perfect decision made 10 minutes from now, because there is no perfect decision. Get the organization going, tell everybody where we need to go, why we're going there, get their input, and they can keep it between the guardrails. Makes sense. So, so
0: far you've used a general patent analogy, a Teddy Roosevelt analogy. I'm guessing that you have a copy of Sun Tzu's Art of War I, on I, one of your bookcases.
1: Absolutely. I've got a small version, a little little book like this on my desktop. I've carried it with me for probably 20 years. Obviously, the book is a little bigger than that, but uh, it, the, the Art of War. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where I've learned and I thought, wow, you know, that makes sense. I just try to put things in analogies and in ways that people can then personalize. I often say, as I did last Tuesday, we have a business, but all of you have a business. And people sat there and, huh? I said, it's your personal family P and L, your your balance sheet. I mean, you guys run a business. It's called your family budget. So I said, what would happen if you spent more than you made? Well, we'd have problems. We'd have to tighten up. My business is the same way. So you're constantly trying to balance unlimited wants with limited resources. Do you, do you think that it, it, you're
0: having grown up, and are you call yourself a blue-collar guy. You've grown up on the shop floor. You've done all of those jobs. Do you think that that helps you communicate more effectively in ways rather than talking over people's head, kind of getting those analogies that people can feel
1: in their gut? Absolutely. How many of us have not? I mean, we talk to people all the time. We kind of quietly say to ourselves, that person gets that. They say words or themes or experiences that you recognize and go that that that's not what I call a theoretical person. They're an applied person. So absolutely. I know what it's like to to, to injure myself a little bit on the job, to have hazards, to put up with uh, situations, procedures that are frustrating. So yeah, I, I I think it definitely helps me.
0: As you were working your way up through the voting business, at what point did you discover lean? Was that a during your college years? Was that later in your? How did you find yourself directed in that way? And I mean, I'm guessing that it appealed to you because you like things. I in like their organization. Place, in organization. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, you know, I'll answer it in two parts. I, I believe God wired us and shaped each of us uniquely um and and i i joke some people maybe engineers finance people like structure they're like top to bottom left to right they didn't become that way because their job made them that way they gravitated towards that because that feels comfortable they like clean organization i see other functions they're more thinkers they're more um innovators idea generators but they don't necessarily are not wired in a way where they can execute and 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 deliver on the detail right so the difference is you see some businesses and i'm being very careful not to name certain ones but you see you know uh, uh, thought leaders but but they're good at product development but they're not necessarily good at execution right if you look post-world war ii the united states was exceptionally good at product development but it was the Japanese that took these great ideas and, 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 and made them executable in terms of manufacturing, right? So I, I do see that. I was a lot like that when I was young, just, you know, we grew up fairly poor. So whatever I had, I wanted to make sure of my thoughts, so I better make sure that it lasts forever. Um, but it wasn't until about 2002, I was vice president of manufacturing quality, advanced technology at Sea Ray Boats, Sea Ray Group. So it was brands like Sea Ray Boats, Boston Whaler, Baja Marine where I went back to the University of Tennessee and for two years uh, uh, got my black belt certification. So you got to go through green belt and so forth, design of experiments, process uh, uh, efficiencies and so forth. And then put a put a project together and demonstrate, you know, how to use the tools of Lean Six Sigma, which is there's two kind of sides to that fence, but advanced statistics. I believe in, manu- in, in in furniture as well as in uh, boat building. It's it's fairly low volume relative to other highly capitalized automated what I call discrete data. Um, you know those are just real statistical process controls, hundreds and thousands of pieces and parts daily and weekly, uh, where you have lower volumes, more attribute data. I won't bore you with the details, but that's where I formally got into it. I my boss was a Ph.D. in chemical engineering, so to her, it was always math. First, I'd always kind of, my dad was a double E and an ME and had multiple master's degrees, so we were we were always about, at the house, about detail and, and, and you know, less anecdotal comments, but let's, let's do the facts, and I've kind of blended those two in my life. As, as a kid in South Los Angeles, you'd, you'd become a bit of a street rat, I kind of joked, you're a bit like Aladdin in the in the in the Disney movie, right? You're just a hustler. You're just trying to. That's what I was saying earlier before we came in here. Uh, I'm Mikey. I'll eat anything because <laughs> I've been hungry. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that's really formally how it came. It was natural to me. I was kind of pre-wired for organization, and then I love the statistics behind it. And what I try to do in the manufacturing areas I've been responsible for is I recognize the average person isn't a statistical nut. I get that, but we just try to put that in, in in simple to easy understand processes that they can execute visual factory management, not, <clears throat> as I respectfully say, not written by engineers for engineers. People want pictures, generally. So you can take a picture and say, this is not good, a lot of wrinkles or whatever, right in some seating, and this is good. It looks clean. People understand that. It's kind of a binary condition.
0: Hmm. The boat business seems to be a little bit more Brand driven. Consumer goes into a store, they they aspire to a Boston Wheeler, they aspire to a Mastercraft, they aspire to a C Ray. The furniture industry is somewhat less brand driven. The retailers very often prefer to be the brand. Is there how do these same principles apply in that environment? Does it matter whether it's branded or not as you execute these the, the core of these business processes?
1: a lot of similarities there believe it or not yes people aspire to a certain brand but you would be shocked overwhelmingly consumers in the boat industry value the relationship with their local dealer as much or even more than they do the brand not saying everybody does but and there are certain brand buyers understand brands and want to be with that brand and will chase it down but overwhelmingly boat buyers value the relationship with the dealer and trust the dealer, even their marketing, believe it or not, more than the OEM. Uh, We still have a responsibility. So there's a lot of similarities. I would say that maybe in furniture there are, at least from my uh, level, there are more brands of OEMs for furniture, whether it's stationary furniture, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's moving motion, uh, motion, it's uh, outdoor, right it's indoor so but but within each of those swim lanes there are a lot of manufacturers a lot and so i think that's probably the primary difference but the consumers value the local retailer as much i think i could Mm -hmm. be wrong but i think they they value No, i think
0: you'd absolutely find that to be the case yeah yeah. and
1: they trust them they say well mr and mrs dealer if you're carrying these products i trust you therefore i trust your selection in these type of brands
0: So you talked a lot about growing up in Los Angeles. You referred to yourself as a street rat. What was, what was it like for you growing up?
1: Well, it was uh, late 60s, 70s. So the, the, the environment was completely different than it is today. And I, I go back to Los Angeles. I've got some family back there and it's much cleaner. It was very, very, I mean, the whole, the world, the nation was much less environmentally focused. Uh, and it was, it was relatively low income, so by no means was I the only kid. Everybody kind of did that, and we were kind of, and I think that was a tendency of the times, too. Our parents were came from the greatest generation, you know, World War II, uh, uh, Depression era. So they made it, and they kind of said, go, go get it done. They loved us, but you didn't really hear that a lot. <clears throat> I expect children you to go are,
0: are supposed to be seen and not heard. That's
1: exactly I right. Grew, I heard that when I grew yeah, up. Right? I did too. Pay Absolutely. your dues. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think that was really it. If we wanted something, I have I bought all my cars. I paid for my college. I paid for all of my clothes since I was 15. If you wanted it, you've got to go figure a way to go get the money and get it done.
0: Well, we talked about this earlier. You were a newspaper
1: boy. Yes. Delivered the Orange County Register. Southern California. There we go. We
0: both we both share that. Having to collect money at 10 years old. Uh, <clears throat> trying, it's a little intimidating in sometimes, right? You know, this is a piece of cake compared to getting past a big nasty dog.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. I deliver to a lot of apartment complexes. Again, <laughs> kind of low income. Didn't really realize that at the time. That was just home. Uh, so it was, you know, all those little things make up the quilt of each of our lives. And so I think, you know, I use my experiences to help me be the leader that I am, not good or bad, but it is recognize where you come from. Take those strengths. You recognize you overcame a lot of tough obstacles and encourage others. That's the one thing that I like to say and I like to try to do is I'm very much a teacher. Um, and if I can give you some free advice, great. I mean, if, if you want it, great. Throw the rest away. But uh, uh, I, I enjoy doing that. I, do, I enjoy doing it with my kids, my grandkids, anybody at work. And I like to learn, I like to shamelessly steal great ideas and learn from everybody around me.
0: I use that line all the time, I'm not happily steal ideas and and give people credit for them.
1: Absolutely. I want credit for the work I do, so I, I try to do that as well.
0: Now, you actually got into boats at a very early age, I was looking at a, obviously I cyber stalked you a little bit, looked on Google, but you were in your teens when you got involved. What is it about boats? Or how did you get involved in that? What was it that appealed to you?
1: Well, I came from Florida. I was born in Fort Walton Beach, but uh, my my dad was in the Navy in World War II, as I mentioned. So he was uh, very involved in the power squadron. So as a very young boy, we were out on boats a lot. And then my older brother, uh, he's long since passed from cancer, but he was very much a boater, liked the fish. So I kind of you know followed him, and uh, he got into that as well, and I just naturally tagged along and. He actually got in the boat business before I did Um, uh, I I had qualified as a flight navigator in the Air Force was getting ready to go and waiting for the recruiter to call me to go to Jacksonville Florida for my test and the phone rang my brother who had been in the service uh, uh, had had just said don't don't do that you know you know come work for me or with me at Sea Ray boats he worked in product tooling I filled an application out just to get him off my back and the day the recruiter was supposed to call was a Friday He didn't call, he didn't call till Monday, but the temporary agency at C-Ray called and said, yeah, we've got, and I had my undergrad degree, but I started for $5.69 an hour. So I thought, yeah, what the heck, I'll try it. Recruiter called Monday, Is very disappointed, gave me another six months to change my mind, and I almost did. And uh, I think I live vicariously through my son, very proud of him. He's a a high altitude, medium altitude imagery analyst in the Air Force and has been all over the world. But... uh, Yeah, I think my my involvement really initially started from my dad, but, you know, I followed my brother as he got interested and wasn't afraid to cut something up and try it. So, yeah, I was kind of the helper.
0: And just loved it and stayed right through?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, You know, we were living around Cocoa Beach, Merritt Island, Florida at the time. That's where C. Ray's product development engineering and two manufacturing plants were located, and he worked in product development. So, you know, I started out making molds and masters, running table saws, drills, drill presses, routers, running shop guns, spraying gel, and so forth. And did that for about a year learned all those aspects. Got promoted into the chemical test lab, which I absolutely love. Could have been my favorite job. Learned how to write Instron machines and do chemical testing. Became a certified product specialist in chemicals and laminates and then moved into manufacturing and just kind of worked my way up. They said, go do that, go do that, go do that. And sure, uh, you know. Half the time I didn't know exactly what I was doing but I jumped in and learned it fast I Was a lamination manager and ops manager so I was over accounting purchasing warehouse shipping traffic plant maintenance um, and then worked my way up to vice president general manager and then vice president of the company and just kept going on from there
0: and now furniture now furniture, which, as we said, remarkable similarities.
1: Oh, I'm 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 excited. I'm not sure everybody else is, but <laughs> <laughs> but I'm excited. I, I I love to I love to stir things up and, and and create change because I'm just passionate and I believe that it will be better with everybody's unlocking all the experience and directing them through managed processes. And I say that because it's all about reducing risk, which reduces our cost and gives us a greater return. than then. I can return that. We can return that into the business in a very strategic, planned way that will continue to grow the company's bottom line, which then allows us to provide more for the employees and give them better benefits. And it just starts to build this inertia. Then they care a little more and they're going to do a better job and turnover comes down. So you can see it's got a lot of tentacles and it's all interwoven. Very holistic. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And one of the other things we talked about in terms of similarities that the boat industry is challenged with is finding the next generation of employees. Mm-hmm. Um, the furniture industry has been wrestling with that for the last several years. So, based on your experience, do you have a solution to this problem that everybody could take advantage of? Are you going to.
1: Well, we talked about it just this morning. Met with the CO and the CFO, and uh, I, I went through the turnover by department. And, you know, that's a pretty quick way to see. Him. In, you know Pareto where your issues are now my next level is okay let's go in there and find out what's driving that to do, do we is that a difficult job do we need better training are we not paying people enough um, and I've asked them I asked the CEO this morning to put a plan together but uh, I quantified that within a range and I said I believe we can invest that much back into training at the end of the day and pay and benefits and all these things we've been talking about for the last 30 minutes to get the turnover down. And I think once you start to do that, you become a little bit of a beacon in the community and people go, hey, you know what? This is fun. It's not perfect, but it's fun to work. They recognize you for your work. You can make a good living. As we talked about before we came in here, a lot of people aren't going to go to college. More people go to college today than in our generation. Maybe only 10 percent of high school graduates went and completed college college. I think I've read something as much as forty percent uh, of millennials are going to college, which is quite a bit, uh, but but that's still under fifty percent. Most people need a trade, and so um, I know what it's like to be an hourly employee and to have children. And you know, I've only got so much money. So, do I buy clothes for the kids? Do so I put tires on the car? Or do I buy food? And that's always something that's uh, every day I think about and I I drive my staff and my direct reports make sure everybody shows up let's run this business in a in a a very um, predictable um, and, and forthright way where we're not wasting money and so that we can give it back to the product that benefits the retailers and the consumers and our employees so Often over the years, I say there's a pie and everybody wants it, right? So you've got owners that want a piece, you've got management that wants a piece, you've got hourly employees, you've got suppliers, you've got retailers, and it's it's a pie. So how do we grow? The furniture business has seen a contraction just like, you know, post-Great Recession, just like uh, uh, in the boat industry. Um, Then I would tell everybody, every day you get up and brush your teeth, look in the mirror and say this to yourself, no one needs a boat. It's purely discretionary, highly cyclical product. People do need furniture, but I kind of divide the world into needs, wants, and would like. So I'd like to have some furniture. I want or would like to have some furniture. At the end of the day, I don't necessarily need it, but I need it more than maybe a boat. Um, I need a car, uh, but but I don't. They're expensive. So the average age of a car today is over 11 years. Um, so you kind of look at those things and balance it, and that really drives all of us to be much more surgical. You can't just fire a shotgun and kind of try 10 things and three of them work great. You've got to be much more, have a higher degree of conversion and success on your plans.
0: Hmm. I want to go back to something you mentioned about at Mastercraft about tripling your volume. The flip side of that, or not the flip side, but along with that, you need to drive demand, right? Mm-hmm. You can make more of something, and, and this is something that the furniture industry wrestles with, how do you achieve growth in a, like you said, it's it's a, a need, want, would like to have kind of a product. Um, do you have strategies that have worked for you before in terms of trying to um, encourage purchase, increase demand, uh, Yes. Si-
1: yeah, so what I recognized within 3 weeks of joining Mastercraft is we needed a much more disciplined product development and innovation process. The company was trying to do both simultaneously and that's not recommended. You need to pull that out and you need to follow a very disciplined stage gate process for product development. We were talking about it a little bit today, you can't. So you've got to make sure that you have one conduit for input. Now you gather information But you manage product development very closely. And so that's that that is something we're going to do much more rigorously at at Klossner. And that's what I did at Mastercraft and at work. But simultaneously, I pulled innovation out of new product development. I wanted to do that to make sure that we were in that in that business. Primarily, I wanted to make sure product liability was at a minimum. All right. So that that's that can be a bomb if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, you've got to be, I, I'm an old licensed captain and, you know, been running boats most of my life, but uh, uh, we need to make sure that the, the innovation is unique and compelling and executable. It's priced right. The, the consumer actually thinks it's unique and compelling and executable, at least unique and compelling. So when we did that, it resulted in Mastercraft winning the Innovation Award given out by the National Marine Manufacturers Association, which is the ultimate regulatory body in the marine industry six years in a row. So our base boat price increased only an average of 2.75 percent a year. Uh, But with the innovation, we we properly validated it. So we did all of the proper, you you know, uh, engineering disciplines. The D FEMA's design, failure mode and effects analysis and so forth. We followed that discipline. We cut our cycle time down for new product development from 24 months to 10 months. We had to. It's amazing what you can do when you had. I said to the organization, we need to double output in 12 months. We've got a bit of a tire portfolio, it's costing too much. And I, I, I used to run one of the largest product development engineering uh, uh, functions in the marine world for six years. I said, in 24 months from concept to start of production, I could develop a yacht in that much time. So the organization. You know, we went through the sequence of events and long story short, we doubled output from one to one and a half new products a year to three new products a year within 10 months. And it didn't cost the company a dime because we got rid of the waste, hence the lean Six Sigma. Right. And but you've got to follow up on that. There's there's the five S program that Toyota initiated and is great. Sign, uh, uh, shine, sort, uh, segregate. The fifth S is sustain. That's the hardest one, because we tend to do these little initiatives then we go off and we get distracted and we don't make sure that it's. So maintaining and sustaining this process was something that I did every month. I put together a strategic management portfolio team, which we will do at Klossner. And it just drove awareness and everybody knew that there was a lot of focus on it. So I think that, that was probably the key because it the innovation drove demand. We had wake shape technology, touchscreen uh, interface at the helm. I used to say, uh, back twenty twenty five years ago, uh, I was an ops manager at a Sea Ray sport yacht plant. We would go fishing a lot in the springtime, but back then, uh, I, I I enjoyed it, and I but but I became the guy that had to plug in all the coordinates and set up the waypoints, right? And and so what I said over the last few years is, people want to go use their boats. They don't want to have to be an airline pilot and sit there for 30 minutes and program this. They just want to push the button, turn the key, and they want the engine to start, and they want the electronics to work. So we identified four key components to making a great wake. And it's really, we went all the way back to our vision statement and our mission statement. If you read, you can go online and see this at MasterCraft. It has nothing to do with money. It's all about bringing enjoyment and lifetime memories and bringing families closer because of what the boat does for the family. And in that case, it created great wakes that were easy to set up because all you had to do is if you wanted to wakeboard or ski or surf, just push a button. All the actuators preset, the ballast tanks went to certain levels, which our engineers determined uh, were uh, the, the right combination of settings to get you a nice day, morning, day, you know, weekend on the water. Now, you could customize that if you were an Uber user, but but, but that's how we drove demand. We had multiple um, innovations flanking rudders, which we call Dockstar. In an inboard boat, water passes from the prop over a rudder, so you can steer it going forward. You ever run an inboard boat in reverse? You have no rudder. So... You know, you're at the mercy of the turn of the prop, and it's not easy for people coming out of outboards and stern drives. So we did that, very low cost, but now you've got to slow speed maneuverability. So we overcame a barrier to entry or an obstacle or concern to a consumer. So through innovation done well, priced right, and inserted in the right part of your portfolio, you can drive demand. And I think we can do that Um at kloster i'm going to be looking at i've told the team i'm going to be looking at subsystems we have a lot in the furniture business right you've got multiple different types of arms for example maybe a main carcass but you've got three different sets of, or styles of arms so i want to look at those uptake options and see what are the consumers ultimately it's up to the consumer are they choosing that 80 percent of the time or eight percent of the time see it still takes a unit the same unit of engineering and design resources to develop that option that was only chosen 8% of the time. Same amount of time needed to do that versus one that's standard or an 80% option uptake. So that's how you balance your resources. We'd like to be all things for all people, but the math would suggest an option uptake below a certain percentage. And i got to, I know what that is in Marine, I've got to validate that here. It says, okay, well, that's nice, but could we use that? Unit of work to develop something else versus this, which is only chosen single-digit times. That makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Makes absolute sense. Yeah.
1: So there's a lot of things we've got to weave together to drive innovation. Because you know, I think quality and innovation sometimes are used a little too loosely in our in our you know our society today. Everybody thinks they've got great quality. I think the consumers rely on their friends and their family and social media input. Right. That's what I'm going to trust. So. Uh, I can say as an OEM, we build great quality product. But if our consumers say to their friends, to their family, to their social uh, network, hey, I bought this and it works and it's great and it's fair price and great setup, and it doesn't break. You need the validation. Correct. From the right right people.
0: Well, this is going to be very exciting. I want to invite you back one year from today so we can see how, how this is progressing. This is very exciting. We're looking forward to watching all the things you have going on at Klausner, and thank you for taking the time.
1: Thanks for having me, appreciate Uh it. My
0: guest this week was Terry McNew, CEO of Klausner Home Furnishings. Terry, thanks for taking the time. You're
1: welcome, thank you.